This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. It is a great privilege uh, from time to time to have leaders of companies coming on our show. Today, we welcome in Carrie Schwab-Pomerantz, who's uh, board chair and president of the Charles Schwab Foundation, as well as senior vice president at Charles Schwab and uh, board chair of Schwab Charitable. Joining me here in the studio to talk on a variety of different topics with Carrie is Mukul Pandya, who's executive editor and editor-in-chief of Knowledge at Wharton. And also joining us on the phone, our friend Shannon Schuyler, who is a chief purpose officer and chief corporate responsibility officer at PW. As well as president of the PwC Charitable Foundation. Carrie, great to have you on the show with us today. Thanks for having me, Dan. Thank you, Shannon, my friend. Good to catch up with you. Always good to be on. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Bukul. Great to see you as well. Thanks, Dan. Great to be here. Thank you. Carrie, I'll start it off because there are certainly a lot of things that we could discuss uh, with you. Uh, one of the things that, that's close to me is financial literacy. Uh, I, you know, I'm the dad of three preteens right now. Uh, it, it is a topic that is discussed, but maybe not enough is done on it. Where are you on this and what do we need to do to improve financial literacy here in the United States? Oh gosh, uh, we need to make a make it a culture, you know, where we um, take it as a responsibility. <clears throat> excuse me, to, un- to to really understand and learn about financial literacy. I mean, I could go on and on. We just don't have it in our infrastructure, and you know, the the, the climate's changing. Where today, you know, today we don't have the pension, uh, retire the retirement uh, doesn't you know provide a lot for us. So we need to learn. So you start from the schools. You know, you start from the nonprofits, universities, the workplace. Families need to talk about it. So it really needs to come from all institutions in our society. Uh, I want uh, thank you very much, Carrie. And I wonder if I could, you know, ask both of you a question that relates the issue of the financial literacy that Dan started with, with a broader question of uh, women and leadership. Uh, I saw a recent article by Sally Blunt, the dean of the. Northwestern University's Kellogg Business School. And she wrote that past data predicts that at least 50% of the women graduating from top MBA programs this year will leave full-time the U.S. workforce within 10 years of graduating. And this is either because they choose to step out or they are forced out. And do, do you think, do you agree with this view? And if so, why do you think this is happening? Gary, go ahead. Okay. Um, so, so you know, I look around at my in my Schwab, you know, at Schwab and all my colleagues, and I have to admit, we have um, a great tenure here. You know, uh, you know, the women that work for me have been here 15, 20 years, and they're in their mid 40s, right in the middle of raising their children. But having having said that, I you know, studies do show that more women do drop out, like you said, McCool. And you know, in fact, I was talking to a friend who was a Harvard Business. Um, she also had her MBA, and she was a member of YPO, and she was lamenting, you know, about a lot of her colleagues dropping out. So I do definitely think that's the case, you know, and, it, and it's a lot of for obvious reasons. Um, you know, you know, there's there's not the flex time. Um, I think women want to work, you know, have a higher purpose. I think they also decide, hey, I'm just going to work for myself and call my own shots. Um, you know, but I do think, you know, this is not just a woman thing. I do think, you know, millennials in general are also moving in this direction. So companies are going to have to respond. Shannon? 
Well, and, and you know, it's interesting. We, we look at what the trend has been, and, and by 2020, about 40% of the workforce will be freelancers. You know, so it used to be that people wanted to come to an organization and stay, and, and again, across gender groups, across um, other demographics. Now people want to leave, right? They want to define themselves. To Carrie's point, they want to have their own purpose. They want to find and, and to be able to put out their own shingle. So we're seeing that happen more and more, and I think one of the things that's kind of encouraging is women tend to like to take that leap. Uh, because they see so many things that are happening not only in their careers but in their personal lives, they see it as potentially having more flexibility but also having the courage to say that I want to do something different and even getting together with other women to create different organizations and new emerging companies. So I think that women are moving. I don't know if it's being forced out or really being able to see where they are and now being in the position of not just taking care of their children but taking care of their parents and yeah. seeing what they really need to do in order to have all of that work for them. Uh, that, that's a, a great point, Shannon. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting that in the same article uh, by Sally Blunt, she also identifies three big challenges that women face that you, that you just happened to mention. Uh, <laughs> the first is that the early stage of their careers, when women in their, in their 20s or mid-30s, they earn just about 80% of what men do. And when they enter the mid-career phase, say from the mid-30s to 40s, they usually bear a larger share of household responsibilities, caring both for their children and parents, in addition to managing their careers. And finally, when they make it to senior levels of management in their 40s and 50s, breaking into the C-suite can be such a huge challenge. I mean, a number of people have said that they uh, spend years in so-called C-suite limbo. Now, in each of these stages, uh, the research shows that women tend to drop out of corporate life. Uh, What do you think that companies should do to support a strong pipeline of women leaders at each of these stages? Could you tell tell us a little bit about what you are doing at your company to create such a pipeline? And also, how in your own careers, how did you manage these pivotal points? Carrie? Um, So, so... You know, Mercer also had a study that showed that mid-level, where, where women drop out is mid-level management. So I think, you know, it's not just, like you said, there's all different um, obstacles for women uh, through their career time, their careers. Uh, for us, you know, mentoring programs for middle management, I think, is, is really important. You know, leadership opportunities and programs, which we do have. Uh, you know, we talked about flexibility. You know, the, the ability to telecommute and work from home, I think, goes a long way, you know, at least one day a week. And building that community, you know, um, whether it's around doing nonprofit work together, encouraging board positions, um, learning other, other uh, or aspects about their life, um, and also, you know, potentially work, you know, working part-time. So I think, um, I think all those, you know, again, going, getting back to flexibility. Now, in terms of my own life, you know, I um, fortunately also had a, married a, um, a journalist, and um, we pretty much punted back and forth, you know, helping each other when we did. Uh, you know, but it was hard. You know, my kids are a little bit older. But fortunately, today, there are a lot more resources available, I think, to parents, you know, whether it's meals being delivered through Blue Apron or DoorDash, or right. even online shopping goes a long way. Um, but but um, anyway, so I think, I think there's a lot of programs we can do uh, to help women along the way. Shannon? 
Well, I think, you know, you look at what companies have done and, and whether it's been forced mandates like in the UK or in others where people are starting to have to disclose what their wage gap is between the genders. And I think that's really calling companies to task that either it's going to come out and they're going to have to correct it or they can correct it before it comes out. So I think as far as the first point that Sally makes, it's really looking to say companies are making the move and seeing the gaps that they have and are working to close those. And yes, it's taken a long time to do that, but I think we're in a time now that it's happening and it will be forced to happen if it doesn't happen regularly. And I think part of that, too, is that men are now a part of the dialogue. I think for so long, people mm-hmm. wanted to create the program, right? What program can we create to help women? And I think what we're realizing is it's not necessarily a singular program that's there. We have to have men who are the people who are actually controlling the organizations and the majority of people who are in those DC roles, making sure that women are at the table, making sure that their organizations aren't just having a program, but they are changing the roles of women and they're elevating them within the organization. And frankly, they're also talking about the time with their family. They're taking paternity leave if it's offered within the organization. They're showing that what they do and the roles that they have are equivalent to what women are doing. And they're showing that they can leverage some of that work and some of that burden that was typically just for the women. So I think having the men more a part of this, both to change the roles, as well as to make sure and to really be the ladder to get women up, is something that's incredibly vital. Well, the, the discussion, uh, I think, around a couple of those points, uh, the paternity-maternity issue, I think, is one that we've discussed on, on this show, and, and a lot of reporting has gone out said how far the United States is behind some other countries. But also, uh, Carrie, as you mentioned, the, the work-from-home ability, you know, even one day a week, that's something that some companies ha- have kind of fully embraced. Other companies have embraced it and pulled it back off the table because they don't think it works for their culture. So a lot of these topics are, are so in flux right now. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, we are definitely in between things. I was just funny. I was just reading a book about the fifth era, you know, sort of the digital era going from the industrial, you know, revolution. And, and um, we, are, we are going there where, you know, young people are doing everything digitally. So, um, so I don't know. We're definitely got to find ways to balance being, you know, you know, face-to-face versus online. It's just, you know, I think it's going to be, um, it's going to take some time and some practice. Shannon? And I think one of the things we can learn from is the millennial generation and Gen Z, because they're able to build these very important relationships without having to be in front of the person. And I think where we yeah. came from a time where, right, we had to get on the plane and we had to be there and we had to be in the office. And you had to be in the office until seven and you had to, you had to miss things and, yeah. or you just couldn't go. Where now people are realizing that there's got to be some kind of bridge between that and you can build meaningful relationships and you can mm-hmm work from home and still build the same kind of contact and collegial environment that you would have whether you were sitting there or not. And I think that technology can be used for that. And we just have to get more comfortable with what that looks like and to be able to embrace that. Because frankly, I think where the millennial generation is and and Gen Z, they're saying we're we're not going to give on those experiences. You guys gave on those experiences, and we're not. And we feel there is a yeah. way to package these things and to have more of that interaction, more of the family, more of really defining who we are and our purpose by leveraging technology in a good way. And I think the rest of us have to figure out what that looks like within our cultures. Uh, so, Shannon, I'd like to go, go back to the point that you raised a little bit earlier, which is uh, involving men as part of the conversation it's uh, uh, one thing that I've found kind of regrettable is that so few men seem to recognize this problem. 
Uh, we have a colleague here at Wharton, Adam Grant, who recently wrote about a study that was done by Lenin.org and McKinsey. And they showed that just 88% of men think that women have at least as many opportunities to advance as men do. What was even more striking about that study was that if you look at the number of men who think that women have fewer opportunities than men to, to advance in their careers, that number is just 12%. Why don't men see these problems and, and what can companies do about it? Uh, Shannon, do you have a response? And then Carrie? Sure. Well, I think partly is in fairness, the opportunities appear to be there. I think the issue is the decisions that are made to put women in different roles or not. And also the decision by the woman, is this the right thing for their career at the time? So I think when you open and say, look, all these roles are available, all these different practice leaders, all these things, it seems as if there's an equal playing field, but it's not necessarily equitable. And, and to be able to look to say, but do they have the same mentors? Do they have the same advocates? that men do. And I think that's where men don't necessarily realize that women don't. Women don't have that necessarily those people behind them just because there are women pushing them forward. And men tend to have that because they created those relationships, whether it was out playing golf or just because, hey, I'm a man, you're a man, we watch football together. We have that. Women don't create circles in that same way. And typically men aren't a part of them. So I think men Visibly, it looks like there are the opportunities that are there. And so I don't fault them for believing that the opportunities are there. The issue is how then does a woman actually get one of those roles? And that's where I think the rules in the game is a bit different. Carrie? Well, I totally agree with Shannon, everything that she said. I mean, um, I, personally, I was really surprised by the numbers. Uh, I was surprised by that because, you know, the numbers do show, right, they're pretty factual about where women um, are in leadership positions. But I think, you know, it kind of gets back to that unconscious bias or, or you know, when you're, you, you don't feel discrimination unless you're, you know, it doesn't directly affect you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, so I think that's where it comes. I mean, fortunately, you know, today, I think men are much more modern. You know, we, you know, we do share in responsibilities. We do um, see each other as, as equals. And I think that's changing in the workplace. But, but, but again, I think do I do think it's a little bit unconscious. We make we make um, judge not judgments, but we assume make assumptions that women may not want the position. So, um, so I, I just it's just a matter of making a, a better effort to re, to really um, create those opportunities and make sure that the women aren't uh, interested. Well, a- effort is one thing, but I mean, you, we're talking about Carrie. That I mean, we need some significant change going forward. And obviously some of that is happening, but there is still a long way to go when you go down that path. I mean, go back to the the the, uh, the, the pay issue uh, between men and women. Uh, I mean, obviously that's been written about quite a bit in, in mm-hmm. the media uh, as, as it's also come up in a variety of other areas, as Shannon mentioned about with the field. I mean, the most recently the U.S. women's hockey team is talking about equal pay. The U.S. women's soccer team uh, had a fight uh, a year or so ago over equal pay. So, I mean, th- these things are playing out not only in the boardroom, but in a lot of other places as well. 
Right. So, I mean, that's the, that's the point. I mean, you know, this 12%, I mean, the, the numbers show women are not in, in a leadership position. They are, you know, at the board level, in middle management, at senior management, um, they are not being paid. So, so you know, going back to why women, men feel that women have more opportunities, it's, 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 um, it's astounding. But again, I think it's, if you, you know, it's just like any type of bias or discrimination. If you're not if you're not a party to it, if you're not, you know, a victim of it, you don't feel it and you don't see it. Well, one of the things I guess I have a significant concern about is for so long, and Carrie doing so much great work within financial literacy space knows this as well, people have said that financial literacy, financial capability is not a life skill, right? And so somehow, <laughs> some way, you're going to gain it, but it's really not that important. We don't have to teach it in schools, and, you know, it's just not a life skill. And what we're realizing is, especially with women, that they're falling behind in really understanding and having knowledge around finances, which might be one of the things that leads them not to question what their pay is. Because you have women now who are saving at far less rates than men are saving. You have women who 60% of women can't come up with emergency savings for something unexpected versus 50% of men. Only 36% of women would be able to meet their basic expenses if they were out of work for any extended period of time versus 45% of men. And so women have kind of grown up, at least where we are right now, not having the full appreciation of the financial issues that are there. And as more likely is coming on this issue, I think you're having and you're seeing the epiphany and women saying, well, wait, hold on a second. Now, if I'm going to be doing this and if I'm suddenly the breadwinner or if I'm suddenly the equal in the household or I'm the only one in the household, I need to make sure very clear that not only am I being treated the right way and compensated appropriately for my job, but that I have a full understanding of the financial implications of the actions that I make. And I think that's something that's been happening more recently versus something that's happened over the last 10, 20, 30 years. Uh, thanks very much, Shannon, for linking the issue of women in leadership back to financial literacy, which is what uh, you know Dan addressed at the, at the beginning of our conversation. Uh, and what you just said reminds me quite a lot of some very recent research that is done by one of our colleagues here at Wharton, Olivia Mitchell, uh, who, who has written a really interesting paper with uh, uh, George Washington University's Anna Maria Lusardi. And, and they showed that financial literacy has such a crucial role to play in these matters. I mean, for example, one of the things that their paper found is that as women age, many of them become more financially fragile and start to carry very high levels of debt. And especially today, when interest rates are starting to rise, this makes them even more financially vulnerable. So how would you see the role of financial literacy in making women less vulnerable? Maybe, Carrie, you could start us off, and then Shannon, your point yeah. as well. Well, I mean, you know, my work has been dedicated, you know, to financial literacy for all all people. But I, but I have been very passionate, like Shannon, around women and their financial security, their um, their financial independence. And so, to me, financial literacy is foundational. You know, you, uh, and Shannon, you kind of you sort of alluded to it. It's foundational in terms of our confidence and our and our security. And independence it allows us to do the things that we want to do. And given, you know, women, um, you know, like you mentioned, that older women right now are, you know, face um, 
some serious issues. That's been the case for years and years, where if you look at the poverty levels, um, it's mostly w- women um, with the highest level of, of uh, poverty. And, and if, again, it goes back to, you know, we're paid less, we um, go in and out of the workforce, we live longer, so we have more money, or we have um, f- fewer dollars, but more years to pay for our retirement. So it's, 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 it's crucial, and it's crucial for all, all of us to learn the basics of money management. And unfortunately, um, it has to start at a young age. It has to start, you know, I mean, even in, as teenagers, if we can do it. But at the very least, you know, as we get into the workforce, we need every 22-year-old to, or, or 20-year-old to save 10% of their income for the rest of their life, and then they will have a relatively uh, comfortable retirement. We also, you know, just going back socially and, you know, historically, women have not or have not been involved with their finances. We've abdicated. Now, I do believe that is changing a lot with the rise of the 401k, you know, that we're, it's forcing us to, to get involved with our finances and, um, and our investing. So, um, so that's a good thing. I think some of it's changing, but we have a long way to go. Shannon? Yeah, and I think where we're stuck right now is that it's looking across both the genders, right? And so when you look at millennials, only 24% of them are demonstrating basic financial knowledge when they're tested. And because of the incredible student loan debts that they have that other generations didn't have the same size, they're terribly concerned about how they're going to pay off those debts as well as just to be able to live the life not just of their parents, but just in general. And because of that, they're looking at riskier behavior. They're starting to take money out of their 401ks. They're looking at using pawn shops and other things. And so this is an entire generation that both men and women are getting caught up in. And I think we need to figure out how can we be a part of the solution. And certainly what um, Terry's done through the Schwab Foundation and, and what we're doing at PwC is to say this matters. And this is a life skill. And it's a life skill at the most youngest level to be able to tell people the difference between wants and needs and have them look at their lifelong um, satisfaction and how their financial futures look. And, and it's incredibly important. And what we've seen is even more important now, considering the generations and how much worse off they are because of the different student loan debt and because of other tools and technology that is there taking advantage of them and not necessarily allowing them to um, to get more financial stability. Uh, thank you, Shannon. I was, I was just, since you mentioned uh, the work that both uh, you and Carrie are doing at your respective organizations, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about some specific programs that you have done to promote financial literacy in each of your organizations? And even more importantly, what would you like to do that you aren't doing today that perhaps people listening to the program could help you do? Uh, Maybe, um, you know, Carrie, could you start and then Shannon? Yeah, you know, obviously being a brokerage firm, we're really in a... um in a great spot, you know, where we can, you know, we are providing financial services. We can do the same for our employees. And, and so we do do that. We have lots of uh, educational programs around our 401k and beyond, you know, what, you know whether it's savings and budgeting, um, buying a home, um, but also how to save and invest in our 401k. And, and we also, you know, we, we encourage our employees to get financial, you know, to come in and work with a financial consultant, you know, go through some financial planning. By the way, those people who plan 
according to Anna Marie Lissardi, um, also is those people plan put a pencil uh, to paper and and determine how much money do they have, how much money do they need to have, and actually try to create that plan. Save average three hundred percent more than those people who do not. Yep. So 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 planning is really important, and you know what I think every company should do. And so you ask me, you know what what should they do? They should um, create a workplace financial education program beyond the 401k because it does, you know, to be an investor, you have to be a saver. And unfortunately, we see a lot of people who can't, you know, can't make ends meet. You know, they're working folks, but they can't make ends meet. So the saving in the 401k is far off. You know, the other is, you know, creating a culture within your company, you know, around the importance of saving in saving and saving in your in your retirement. You know, you know, being more out, you know, more outward about it. And then also, you know, looking at the metrics and the results, how are your employees doing with their saving in their 401k? Um, and, and, look, and, and look at it from the different demographics as well. I know that McDonald's found that when they looked at their 401k, that African-American managers were saving a lot less than, than their white counterparts. So they were earning the same amount. So they created specific programs to reach that, um, that population. It's been great having you both on the show today. Thank you uh, greatly. Uh, it's been a phenomenal, Carrie, to have you on. Shannon, always great to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you both. McCool, great to see you as well, as always. Thanks, Tim. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.